that's what drew me into the music scene here to begin with. There was that feeling that anybody who wants to do this can do it. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, I have Michael Thies, and you may know Michael Thies from such bands as Metaphysics, Teenage Ghosts, Fake Chatterer, Grad School, Alleyway Sex, Bleeding with Victory, and The Signal. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, today we're going to be listening to your recently released single, six to midnight so without further ado let's listen to the song let's do it Welcome back. So, of course, my first and favorite question to always ask is, what came first? Was it the music or was it the lyrics? I I think in this instance, it was, I had the lyrics and 
they were just sort of on their own, you know, not connected to any piece of music. And then I had the music and I'd say that, you know, they sort of developed independent of each other. This is maybe, you know, some insight into my processes, especially when it comes to writing lyrics. It's not my favorite part of writing music or writing a song. And so when I am working on lyrics, it's made it easier for me if I try to essentially not think about it too much. So I just try to kind of write stream of consciousness, like a, an email draft that I keep emailing to myself. <laughs> That's basically just like a string of words that are not necessarily related to anything at all. Huh. And then when I am working on music, I just try to find phrases that will fit certain cadences. And then I just kind of piece things together from there, which mm can sometimes result in a very incoherent song where it's like, what, what is this person trying to say? Uh, and the answer is maybe nothing, <laughs> you know? I see. <laughs> it started with the email lyrics back and forth, but yeah. when did you decide that you wanted to, like you settled on it, so to speak? Like you said, okay, now, now I'm going to create a beat and create a piece of music and create a melody. Like wh what was it that made you begin to create the music i'd say for this project metaphysics for me it's always kind of been an exercise in production hmm. pro probably more so than songwriting but in the process of putting this project together i've kind of challenged myself but also just out of necessity become a songwriter because it's never really been what i wanted to focus on so much as production i think it plays more to my strong suits as a musician i kind of like playing a supporting role in bands like most of the bands i've been in i've been a bass player and i huh. and i like that and but then at the same time i've tried to kind of branch out from that role and write my own material so metaphysics is kind of the result of that here's me doing a conversion into my own process sometimes the way that i think about how I compose is really less about putting notes together or putting rhythms together as it is as constructing something rather than composing something. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like putting elements together. I don't know if that made sense, but it, it's sometimes I, I think about it's more of the conceptual idea of putting something together. And maybe that, that was kind of my interpretation of what you were indicating is like you you think of yourself as more of a production person than a composer but i mean uh, mm -hmm. you know you're doing you're doing the side to side thing with your head saying like mm, maybe yeah. but but th that that was kind of what i heard and like so i'm curious i feel like that rings true to me because the process of writing a song for me is a little bit of a cut and paste style like collage art and i don't always know where i'm going to end up when i start in fact most of the time i don't there've maybe been like a handful of times where I kind of sat down with a guitar or sat down at the piano and like a song kind of came in one sitting as it happens. I don't even know if I'm going to say this, but those tend to feel better. I, I end up being kind of happier with the end result in most of those cases mm -hmm. because it was sort of one, one thought that, huh. that came in that moment. But at the same time, challenging myself in different areas of production it's sort of like maybe i'm working on this drum pattern or messing around with like finding a nice cool like synth tone or something and maybe i'll get one piece and then few weeks or months will even pass and then come back to it and be like okay and now maybe this word kind of can fit in there and then and then i'll take the drums and put them in or it builds off of itself and that can also be an interesting way to construct a song one of the things that struck me about this piece is how, I want to say, far back the vocals are in this. When I first listened to it, I was like, uh, is that like a synth mimicking someone singing? Or is that mm -hmm. like, is that someone singing? Yeah. And I guess maybe this, maybe slightly of a, a tangent, but I feel like it's very relevant. It's like, why do you make that decision? I mean, it, it seems like it was a very intentional decision to place the vocals in the mix where you did, especially since there's even effects on top of it that make it seem, I don't know if gritty is the right word or just like, 
like as if you're struggling to get the sound out with mm-hmm. your voice this is my take on the sound so i'm curious about that decision to one about how you placed the vocals in the mix and then also just where you see the vocals as landing in the overall creation of a piece of music yeah i mean <laughs> sorry <laughs> i just made that huge and i'm sorry about no, that. no 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 <laughs> Well, and actually, again, to sort of, it might help a little bit to zoom out a little bit, metaphysics in general, again, was sort of like an exercise in production. And the initial idea was to kind of like do my best at producing a large body of work or songs, but then find different vocalists to, well, find anyone really to collaborate with. But it tended to be that vocalist is where I needed the most help, you know, because as it stands, and this is again, part of kind of how I see myself in the, in my role as a musician, I'm not really a performer. I'm not like, you know, trying to be in the spotlight as like the lead singer of a band or anything like that. It's just not a role that's ever really come naturally to me. I just think singing isn't really my strong suit at all when it comes time to kind of put a vocal down on a song i've just found that i feel i shouldn't try to sing out of my range i shouldn't like go for these kind of big i don't know dynamic vocal hooks or something because i can pretty much never pull them off so i should either like collaborate with someone and get someone to come in and who can sing better than i can or i should play into the vocal as part of the overall sort of sonic landscape. I don't know, listening to a lot of like shoegaze and dream pop over the years kind of like helped me come around to that idea and maybe feel okay about it. Just that like, okay, there's space for like someone who wants to write a song, but doesn't want their vocal to be like forefront in the mix. It's it's okay to make the vocal part of like the overall texture, you know? Right. So that's kind of what I've I've leaned into that because it's just where I feel the most comfortable. But I also kind of think it serves the song if it's not a, a song that I'm like working on with someone else who can maybe like take it somewhere else when it's just me. That's where it feels best to me. I was kind of even thinking about how you used your vocals in this piece in particular too because I, I want to say that like this song makes me think of i don't know i i don't i you know as if i'm not one to to interpret but i feel like this is kind of a bunch of things happening you know sometimes when someone does a piece it's a long story like sometimes a piece of music will will be a narrative that's going over many years or it's over a week or it's over a day but i think yours like almost you could say it's in real time like Mm. i feel like it is being in a situation and snap 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 all of these experiences are happening at once and maybe it was because of when you released this and also maybe you know i was thinking you know six minutes to midnight or whatever Mm. and you know that that certain anticipation i'm kind of surprised you didn't make this song six minutes long but anyway that that would (laughs) you know what i mean so you could start at six minutes to midnight and then it would finish right at but i mean that might have been too on the nose and i'm sorry for me to be just like uh rambling a little bit but i do feel like there's these moments of like there's a certain mechanical quality about what's happening mainly because of the beat that's that's being laid down it's this kind of boom bap your vocal is very mechanical almost like i keep thinking of it as somebody that doesn't want to be there in the sense of how the vocals are pulled back and kind of like consumed by the music which is it is always been my experience for anything that's like a public new year's eve kind of celebration and and maybe this has nothing to do with new year's eve but i keep thinking about how close its proximity to when it was released as kind of a context in which it it fits it feels like a song about somebody that doesn't want to be there but it's surrounded by all this these things people are supposed to be having fun but it's like i rather just be at home and be alone or whatever but yet i'm caught in the situation and i can't get away from it but Mm -hmm. you know maybe i know i said a lot of things but i was kind of curious about like the context in which you thought about 
creating this piece. Maybe to touch on the sonic texturing of the vocals, I actually wanted it to be almost more robotic. And that's in part because I said metaphysics has always been me trying to push myself in different areas of musical production. The first record had guest vocalists coming in. The voices on the record, kind of like what I was trying to say with each song, in part, each voice was kind of like able to contribute to sort of an overarching narrative that I had in my head, even if it wasn't really explicitly stated in any of the music or the songs. But I kind of constructed a narrative in my head and these voices kind of all played a role in bringing the album together. Or the second album came about after moving back to Champaign. I'd been out in New York for maybe five or six years and moved back to Champaign and sort of wanted to I don't know, put a band together and challenge myself again to kind of write just in like a more, you know, standard band format. So, you know, just bass, drums, guitar. So the second album was sort of like, okay, I'm going to just do this. I'm just going to go for it because it's not something I've ever done before, really. Been the lead singer in a band and played guitar. So I was like, oh, I don't try this. But now that I've finished that, it's sort of like, okay, The third album, for me, I'm trying to challenge myself in a similar way in like one area of music that I haven't really focused on a lot is just electronic based. You know, I love a lot of like 90s rave music and stuff like that, but I've never really challenged myself to like write from that perspective or with that sort of tool set. So that's kind of what this new chapter of the band is about in a sort of big thematic sense in my mind is about trying to lean into that almost mechanical or robotic sounds. And I think in a sense also, like if the first record was sort of based in New York City, the second record is like about like a return to Champaign-Urbana. Maybe the third record is like, maybe if we're going with that sort of like sense of narrative, maybe the setting for the third record is just the black hole of the internet, you know? So I'm trying to kind of lean into that almost dystopian and we're on the verge of the world being taken over by AI generated robots and so it's sort of like playing into that a bit at least in my mind so that sort of sense of isolation and feeling alone using technology but feeling more alone is kind of like this the headspace i'm writing from this piece is the first single off of your upcoming album hopefully hopefully yeah that's that's the that's key because it's it's been harder and harder to kind of like carve out time and but yeah that's the plan is to try to have this be a part of an upcoming album let's just talk a little bit about when you start creating the music you know you don't necessarily have the lyrics and the vocals kind of figured out what is the initial step for you usually when you're creating the the music side of it Mm. I, I would say in this case, actually, this song started with just like a keyboard, which later got taken out of the song. It was just like one keyboard and me sort of humming along to try to find some sense of what the phrasing or cadence will be. It sort of landed on that, left my vocal in, and then like built the drums around that. Interesting. Okay. And, and then I didn't have any of the words, or the words, again, were written down somewhere but there was more to them that got cut out a lot of times i'll just pull a word out that like fits the phrase the original lyrics there was actually a lot more to it that then just got cut and pasted out i'm curious about some of the embellishments that you have in there were those already there and when i say embellishments is say right after the first chorus and i'm calling the the were we out there looking for fun say those two lines right after that there's there's kind of a there's an interlude where you mm-hmm. have reiteration of the vocal melody you also have lower piano ish sounding mm-hmm. notes that's that's kind of interjecting in between with i don't want to call it a bass note but i mean it, it's it's in that bass range if yeah. you want to call it that mm-hmm. and i i just it's it's kind of a neat interplay like for me if i were if i were constructing it and i had made those parts it feels like if i would do it i would be like okay after this course it needs something so you know you scoot over like a nice you know four measures and then you drop in mm-hmm. that part so i'm just curious did you were you thinking in terms of that as you were putting it together or did you make room for this part no actually what happened was the chord structure that's in that interlude part originally was the same structure 
for the verse and maybe even the chorus. Or I think maybe the chorus was always shorter. It has like an extra four bars or something that the chord sort of vamps on the fifth mm. and, and then resolves that sort of like extra four bars was part of each verse. And I sort of laid out the structure of the song. It was like verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus. And I, I can't remember exactly, but then when I was working on the verse, I just found that it kind of played better if I kind of took those like vamping chords out. So I shortened the verse, but then it felt like it added some healthy sense of dynamics to that bridge section to kind of give it a little extra something. So I left it in there, but I had taken it out of the verse. That was really more of me trying to understand your, your process of how uh -huh. to fit those elements together in order to get the completed piece. It's definitely like sort of trial and error, you know, a lot of just messing around until finding something that's sort of like, you know, and sometimes, sometimes I'll sit on something for a while and then realize like, oh, actually the problem with this is just like half of it needs to be deleted, huh. <laughs> you know, kind, kind of what happened there. Cause I was trying to, I was trying to build the song into something bigger, you know, something longer, maybe six minutes. It, I'm just it, kidding. It very well could have been. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, that was the result of me just kind of realizing like, oh no, the problem is take out half of what you have. Mm. <laughs> and not to be too grandiose, but there's like a certain elegance, the simplistic nature of how this is constructed. I mean, when you mentioned like rave music, I feel like there's that house music does this too, where it's the same, like there's just this underlying beat that just goes through it and, it, and what it does is it puts the listener into this mental state of this it, you know that doesn't stop there's no mm. changing you're, you're supposed to dance to it you're supposed to succumb to the rhythm uh, or something i don't know sure. I, i'm not sure how to say it but i feel that that's kind of how your drum part throughout this piece works is it it's this kind of tether that holds everything together and then you can kind of vary but yet you as i said like not to be too grandiose but you elegantly make the melody very simple and it's something that kind of it has some earwormy qualities actually you know with, mm. with some of the the elements you have of the you repeat that melody of your vocals in some of the synth parts too which i feel mm -hmm. like it does this really nice reinforcement so that it would stick with you long after you turn it off. In your previous answer, you'd mentioned that if I could just cut it in half, this may be an impossible question to answer, but how do you figure out how to do that more with less kind of thing? It's something I have to constantly remind myself of is like, less is more, right? It feels like this also has a certain exercise in restraint. I feel like that makes a lot of sense because there were additional parts. It wasn't just the length of the verse that got shortened. It was also, there was like a bouncy synth throughout the whole song, which I think was initially part of what I kind of built the format of the song was kind of centered around this bouncy synth line I had. So thinking that was like the beginning of the song and where it was going to go. But then that part just got completely scrapped. Like you were saying, less is more. I feel like that happens a lot when trying to kind of produce a track. You know, it, there's always this element of like, I'm just going to pile on whatever ideas come to mind, you know, first and foremost in the moment, you know, it's sort of like first thought, best thought thinking mm -hmm. when you're recording. But then when you're going back through editing, maybe it's the opposite. It's like, like you say, less is more. So I kind of just try to like be as open-minded and freeform as I can when I'm producing the idea initially, but also kind of always knowing that somewhere in here, there's sort of a something worth preserving and, and sharing, you know, right. but it may not be, it may not be all of it. And in fact, more often than not, it, it needs, it needs that. Do you have a favorite part in this song? It's definitely that bridge part, the sort of broken piano sound, because it's a very simple melody, but leaning into that feeling of isolation or, you know, loneliness in the digital age was trying to capture that kind of a feel. So it's sort of like this robotic hypnotic beat going on, but then it's just sort of like this reverb washed out piano mm. that kind of plays off in the distance somewhere. 
you know, it was just trying to like evoke that sort of a feeling. Why did you pick the song as the song you wanted to talk about today? Like I was saying, my songwriting process can lend itself to pretty abstract subject matter, especially when it comes to the lyrics, because I'm just not much of a poet. And so lyrics are always kind of a struggle for me. But in this instance, I actually did kind of have something in mind that came about. I, I think that it was... Just out of all the songs I've written, it was one instance where I actually kind of like had this idea, like, what if I wrote a song in response to one of my favorite songs, which is White Man in Hammersmith Palais by The Clash. And, you know, there's so much subject matter in that song that gets me thinking just about the state of the world that in, you know, 2024 election year, everything's feeling a little bit bleak at the moment. But that song by The Clash is one that like, I don't know, I just like, I can't shake it. It's always kind of a song I'll return to, to kind of get me thinking about like, where are we right now? (laughs) And it felt like the right time to do something like that, to sort of engage with the subject matter that I'm constantly engaging with anyway, but to actually put it in a song and kind of like release it, it, this felt like the right time. Yeah, so the, The Clash song is this song that was you know joe strummer wrote after going out to a a reggae gig at the hammersmith palais he went thinking we're gonna get this sort of revolutionary like political message you know expecting it to be almost like a rally of sorts but then getting there and realizing that the people performing were just trying to put on a show you know like they were just like hey We've got a lighting rig and choreographed dance moves or backing harmonies and maybe overdubbing arrangements on some of the songs or whatever. And he is expecting this sort of like, I don't know, gritty, hardcore dub reggae evening. So the beginning of the song is him sort of disillusioned, but also I think kind of just owning up to his own presumptuousness that like, it's not fair to project on to someone else, like what they're doing with their art, you know, to say like, mm-hmm. oh, to sort of expect one thing having to come to terms with like well really my expectations were out of whack so he goes from there to kind of talk about the socioeconomic situation in england in the late 70s for one like he's sort of saying like well we could have an armed revolution but the british army's out there and they weigh 1600 tons or whatever like we're we're, there's no way we're ever going to win it's sort of like we're outgunned right (laughs) so then jumps to, well, you might as well phone up Robin Hood and ask him for some wealth distribution. Like, as if what we really need is his redistribution of wealth, but that's never going to happen because it's never going to get through Parliament or Congress. So you might as well just call up Robin Hood. Then, again, I think sort of points the finger at himself. He says, well, the, punk, the punks, they're never going to notice, like, this redistribution of wealth is going to actually come out of the pockets of not necessarily the wealthy elites that we're always pointing the finger at, but actually us, the sort of like middle-class suburban punks are the ones who are actually should be willing to pay up. He's saying, you know, like, well, they're never going to notice because they're too busy fighting for the spotlight. And then he talks about like, well, these new punk bands that are coming up are all jumping on the bandwagon. They're, they're all just kind of like turning rebellion into money. You know, mm-hmm. this thing that we set out to do with pure intention has now become a business. So then he sort of zooms out even further and talks about all these people are changing their votes along with their overcoats. Like the more, the more wealth people get, the more conservative they tend to vote. So the line of the song that always struck me is like, even as a kid, I remember thinking like, gosh, are things really that bad? But he said, you know, if Adolf Hitler flew in today, they'd send the limousine anyway. That always struck me as like, whoa. But now I find myself living in 2024. And I'm like looking around and I'm like, oh, Joe was right. But then after all of that, you know, he's sort of like looking at the world with very like sobering eyes of, you know, like things are really bad. But then he sort of points the finger at himself again and says, well, I'm an all night drug prowling wolf. At the end of the day, who am I really to to comment on all this. I think that's part of what makes the message. I kind of take it more seriously with when someone is kind of has that sense of humility and is able to kind of like deliver such poignant social commentary, but then still sort of like know where they fit into things. Like he's not really propping himself up as a leader. He's sort of saying like, who am I to say what the right path to take is? And then he says, at the end of the day, I'm just the white man in Hammersmith Palais and I'm just looking for fun. Because when I first heard this song, 
I think I thought that he was trying to play this sort of like, everyone wants me to be sort of the voice of a generation. And that's not me. I'm not, I'm not the guy, you know, kind of like Bob, Bob Dylan, you know, kind of went through that where people expected him to be something he didn't feel that he was. Uh-huh. And I used to kind of think that's what Joe Strummer was saying in this song that like, I'm not the one who's really has all the answers. But more recently, I sort of realized really what he's talking about is I think I'm just here looking for fun, just like the people performing tonight. That like, you know, I came to this gig thinking it was going to be this like hard hitting political rally, sort of expecting like Raging the Machine or something. Sure. <laughs> but he came away from it with something even more powerful, which is like a sense of shared humanity that like, mm-hmm. I'm here just looking for fun. They're here just playing music and putting on a show. And really that's the thing that is gonna get us through all of this. Or at least is something that it's like a foundation that's worth building off of. He kind of comes around with all this stuff and says, I'm just here looking for fun. But so again, I know this is a very long winded answer. That was the idea that I just wanted to take and say kind of yes. And I want to like affirm that because that song means so much to me, especially in like the social media age where, you know, go online and sort of like try to have a political message or sort of respond to somebody with a negative political message. You end up boosting their cause when you're trying to reply to it. Our worst instincts are what get amplified in our echo chambers. This song has meant a lot to me to kind of think about how to combat some of that. And it's like, well, try to find your shared sense of humanity and build off of that. But then at the same time, I just wanted to ask the question, were we out there looking for fun? Like, did it all come undone as we were? Are we too focused on that? Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Jubilee Cafe. Jubilee Cafe is a free weekly meal program at Community United Church of Christ, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign, Illinois. Jubilee Cafe serves a home-cooked meal from 5 to 6.30 each Monday. Their mission is to feed hungry people by cooking healthy, delicious meals and by serving their guests restaurant-style with servers waiting on tables. Jubilee Cafe is open to anyone who cares to eat with them. Because food insecurity among students is so high, they serve students as well as others in and around the Champaign-Urbana community who struggle with hunger. Meals are free to all and will be served each Monday evening. Located in the accessible lower level of the building at 6th and Daniel Streets in Champaign. For more information on the meal or how to volunteer, go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email them at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. That's jubilee dot cafe at community dash ucc dot org welcome back so michael do you have a favorite champagne urbana venue past or present some of my favorite musical memories happened the red herring comes to mind also, the IMC are probably the two. The IMC as it is now, but also the old IMC is where I went to some of my first shows. Mm. So that one especially has like a yeah. soft spot in my heart. When you would go to Red Herring, do you also mean like the Channing Murray Chapel yeah. or actually down in Red? Because those both yeah. are, the, I, I also enjoy those as venues. Well, you know, the Red Herring itself, a little bit more of an intimate setting. Yeah. But definitely in the chapel, I saw some great Pygmalion shows mm-hmm. there as well. Definitely. But, yeah. I mean, I love them both. I have some pretty pivotal memories in the basement, one of which was this band, the Stockyard Stoics, mm. played in the basement of the Red Herring. And like a punk band, I think they're from New York or maybe New Jersey, but they actually covered this song that I've been going on about, White Man and Hammersmith Ballet. I remember that. And then... There was like this, I think they're like a Dutch straight edge hardcore band called Vitamin X and they played the Red Herring and that show I just remember being pretty intense, you know? Uh-huh. And as a kid, like those were those sort of like, like I'd seen documentaries about punk and stuff, but then to like go into a, a little basement and actually have a hardcore band like that playing right. was pretty powerful. 
one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, it's not a very big space, but the the thing I'm always having to remind myself is sometimes there are these bands that are touring and their level of intensity, it doesn't matter whether they're playing to like a large sold out audience or, you know, maybe 10 people and I think that in itself, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a punk band, but anytime you get where, even if it's a small venue and there's only two or three people, you know, Mm -hmm. there are bands that will play the exact same show. Being able to witness that there's a certain additional musicianship, I want to say, you don't necessarily have to feed off of the audience in order to do that. And I think... Sometimes that's more of someone that is passionate about the message that they want to have Mm. rather than a performance, which I feel like kind of fits into, you know, the not necessarily for fun, Mm -hmm. but to have a a message as well. I I think both are valid, obviously, but I, I also feel, you know, it's really impressive when you can see people that can put on a good show in spite of the audience sometimes, yeah, you know. That's what drew me into the music scene here to begin with. There was that feeling that anybody who wants to do this can do it. At its core, like, that's what still attracts me to punk music or the sort of punk rock ethos is just this idea that anyone can get involved. And in anyone, everyone does have something to say. And to try to create a space where everyone feels you know, welcome to get up and say what they have to say. At its core, what I kind of kept me, you know, continuing to just try to stay involved, but kind of keep this dream alive, you know, this thing that we're all, Hmm. we're all a part of. It feels worth preserving because of that, because it's like at its core, I think it's this thing that opens up space for everyone, or at least it should be. What do you think makes a good music scene? Oh, I think... In a way, that's also what the subject matter of this psalm that we talked about and this Clash song that I can't get out of my head kind of speaks to all of those things about creating a safe space for everyone to feel welcome. But also within that, you know, understanding that we all have to kind of check ourselves because I think especially in when I think back to like a lot of the early like punk shows and stuff that I was going to as a kid, it could feel so energizing to be in a space like that where it's just anything goes you know right but then at the same time well for one it it's easy for sort of bad actors to come into a space like that and take advantage of people so whether that's just drunken hedonism or you know something even worse you know and i do remember times where like at punk shows where like a group of people would kind of realize hey this person here is causing problems and people would kind of come together and like show the person out or, yeah, yeah. but I, I do think about like, I don't know what kind of things might've been going on at those shows that I wasn't aware of that, you know, I feel like I don't, I don't want to say I was like turning a blind eye, but just sort of like what blind spots do I have? Because I think in retrospect, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and kind of look back on those shows and kind of have rose tinted glasses and say like, yeah, it was great. We were, everything we were doing was perfect. <laughs> and like, right. and it, even though like I came out of it with an overwhelming sense of positivity about the community, that may not be the case for everyone. I know the question was like, yeah, what makes a good music scene? I guess it's that freedom to create, but also accountability, you know, like pe- people just, and I, and I would say first and foremost, you know, check yourself. Like ev- sure. I think every, that's cause that's something everyone can do. And something that we all should be doing. There is a tendency at shows for people to get so... People can get very self-centered. Because I'm at a show for my enjoyment, my whatever pleasure. And Mm -hmm. ignore the fact that when in seeking those uh, rewards or whatever you want to call it. Why did I say it like that? (laughs) But in seeking, say, in participating in that behavior of just pleasure-seeking, self-centeredness, mm-hmm. I feel like that has the potential to ignore that those behaviors can affect other people 
in a negative way. I'm not saying that yeah. people can't be selfish. I'm not saying that people can't be focused on their own pleasure. But when you become so focused on just that, it's easy to just think about things in, in a way that doesn't include other people hmm. and their space. As a white hetero cis male... I always have to overthink. This is like one of the few times that I think it's really good for me to overthink. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, overthink how much space I take or how I move within an audience. Like, do I move as if I own the place, whether I mean to or not? But do I just kind of exhibit that space hog? Yeah. The more I'm conscious of it, the more I realize how there is this bubble intended or not that just kind of forms around me that kind of pushes people out of the way and mm-hmm. so it's one of those things that i always tr- have to think a lot about because it's you know i don't mean to but it happens and i've grown up with that so it doesn't seem unusual well and, and i feel like you know there's probably sort of a distinction in there somewhere between corrupt systems that kind of are at play and we're all born into and participants in versus, you know, individual responsibility. And I don't know where the line is, but I think it's worth thinking about what sort of systems you're helping to uphold just by being complicit, just by being a participant in and what you're doing to deconstruct those systems and, and, you know, hopefully build something better, you know? Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004. Carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. Michael, what is your favorite non-musical thing or things? Um, okay. <laughs> I, I knew this question was coming up. I really struggled with what to talk about. <laughs> but similar to me like going on about The Clash, I think if I don't bring this up, most of my friends who might, might be listening would call me a liar if I didn't say Star Wars. <laughs> so, oh, really? Yeah. Uh. For better or worse, yeah. It's another thing where I'm just sort of like, I really got to like move on from this, but I just can't shake it. Because I think in a similar way to kind of what we've been talking about, it's like um this big sort of pop cultural institution that within it has the resources to kind of talk about systemic injustices. I think that it's like, you know, grown way beyond anything I can comprehend. It's, but... Yeah. <laughs> I, actually, you know, honestly, I I am oddly envious of this generation's set of children because i'm like when one could go to disney world or something like that and and i'm not trying to defend disney taking over the star wars franchise however being an adult and going into some of these star wars worlds that they've created where you can just kind of step in to that space I would have gone nuts as a kid. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Mm. This is this is about you, not about me. But I just I got. No, it's it, all good. It, like I'm so jealous that I couldn't have that experience as a child. Doggone it! If Ooh. if it wasn't like growing up and seeing some of those movies and just I mean just kind of the the sheer wonder you know of yeah. those those worlds being created. Well, wait. First, I I do want to ask: Have you been to? Uh galaxy's edge star wars uh, uh disney world yes i have okay yeah yeah, yeah. i went uh 
Well, um, actually, yeah. So the last time I went, that was in 2022. Okay. So yeah. That was the last time I went. I have also had the privilege and great pleasure of going to Galaxy's Edge at Disney World and feeling just it it does it takes you back to a place like a, a sense of imagination that you have as a kid watching those movies yeah and like stepping into it is very surreal yeah and i mean even being able to order a blue milk oh my gosh i mean yeah. that is the yeah. dumbest thing but it's also kind of the most awesome thing yeah you know i i don't know some of it it's just like okay that's just ridiculous but it's also like ugh, lean into it you know uh -huh. why not i think the thing that keeps me going back to star wars is that within it you know there's this i i think george lucas you know created it kind of grew up through the sort of vietnam generation and developed a a deep sort of mistrust of institutions and so whether you're talking about you know religious institutions like the jedi mm. or the sure. military industrial complex and, and the government and too much money in politics and he has this way of kind of communicating this story that just gets my mind going about on the one hand i think the empire was modeled after the third reich yeah. but then at the same time i think george lucas said in an interview that the ewoks are supposed to be modeled after the Viet Cong. in that case the empire becomes the united states <laughs> so right you know there and i don't think he's necessarily saying that the united states are synonymous with the third reich but I think he is trying to get everyone to ask themselves, what does it look like to kind of become the thing that you set out to destroy? Which is a yeah. very kind of punk rock thing. Like all, all punk sure. bands set out to be like, we're punk rock till we die. We're, we're never going to sell out. But then inevitably everyone becomes the thing that they thought they were against. I don't know. I just think it's healthy to kind of like continuously ask those kinds of questions. Do you have a favorite movie out of all of them? If you want to do that, or mm, I, yeah, I, I hesitate to say series too because mm -hmm. some of those are. I mean, I've even before Disney took over, I think some of those series as well, like the animated Clone War. I still, I still love that I, pretty well. I, I've watched know? it all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, if if I had to just pick one, I, I mean, it would probably be Empire Strikes Back. I can find fault with all of them. But actually, you know, I know The Last Jedi was a very contentious movie. I kind of like the messaging of that movie quite a bit, which, again, kind of plays into a lot of the things we've been talking about. But it's just sort of like the execution was maybe a little clunky. But I actually kind of right. like I kind of liked the message of that movie. Luke, yeah. Luke Skywalker sort of disillusioned thinking I'm the problem. Yeah, I think he did a lot of soul searching and a lot of self-reflection and realized like, uh, I'm going to be a part of this fight. I'm just going to make everything worse. So he kind of like exiles himself on an island, but then kind of coming around to this idea that like, no, we do actually need something to hope for. We actually right. need some sense of positivity or else we're all just doomed. <laughs> so right. What? Yeah. What I about mean, you? <laughs> oh, I remember just being like blown away by Empire Strikes Back. You know, I'm, I'm old enough to, <laughs> to have been around when that, came out you know this was before the internet but yet spoiler alert you know the whole dropping the bomb of darth vader is luke's father before the internet and this was the point i was trying to make it's like that got spoiled like way quick so it was <laughs> oh yeah yeah like people were already you know just talking about it and it was like do you, you know do you mean even 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 before i went to see the movie oh, it was like whoa. somebody yeah i mean that's harsh. I, I guess the point I'm trying to say is that we blame the internet for a lot of things, but in our nature, at our very core, <laughs> yeah, we're we're all the same people. It doesn't matter. Just, you know what I mean? Like we're still we're still going to ruin things for other people. It's just an but I just remember like yeah. going and knowing that that was that was the thing because it already had been you know spoiled and it, I don't know it, timelines when you're a kid are are different but it felt like the movie just came out and then everyone wow. knew that so it was yeah it's just strange to me yeah but anyway i still love that that was very should i say middle act of a three-part play like so you really have the crisis i don't know it, it, it was definitely like a crisis for luke again right mm -hmm. like 
you know, how do I be this person that I'm supposed to be for some strange reason? And I, I think a lot of people think Star Wars is this, like, very simplistic story of good versus evil, which I think in some sense, again, I think that's what George Lucas sort of set out to do because he came out of the 70s and there were all these sort of, like, gritty films where you're rooting for the anti-hero and it's kind of like the bad guy wins and yeah. he, he wanted to make a movie where it's like okay no actually we need to remember that like there are some things that are worth standing up for but having said that in return of the jedi obi-wan and yoda like tell luke you gotta go kill your father <laughs> you know <laughs> and like and so uh. it's these the Jedi who are supposed, you know, the good guys, it's kind of like, yeah. yes, okay, goodness wins out in this film, but it's not necessarily saying that the good guys, quote unquote, are without fault. They need to check themselves sometimes. Yes. It's really, it's Luke not listening to them that, you know, sort of saves the day. He, he right. says, these people are telling me I need to go and fight, but really it's him saying, I'm not going to fight. That actually right. like turns his dad back to the light side you know yeah michael thank you for being on the show and coming all the way out here and you know telling me about your song six to midnight and metaphysics and your writing style and you know what makes a good music scene and of course your favorite non-musical things so thank you for being on the show thank you so much for having me this has been a real treat to me as someone who often puts music together in a very abstract way having the opportunity to kind of actually talk about some of the thought process behind it is helpful because I don't expect anybody to really kind of know what I'm trying to say with anything. Mm -hmm. So having an opportunity to kind of like expand on it is, is really helpful. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Michael Thies of Metaphysics reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live. Champagne is also a band. You almost have an NPR voice. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> studio. South Beaker on the inside. <laughs>